Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. This is More Than Amused Podcast. I'm Sadie. And I'm Stani. And it's another week of November. And we're happy to be back here talking about another female artist. I don't remember who you've chosen for this month. So I'm excited to learn all about it. Yeah, she was really fascinating to research. Her name was Angel Decora. And she's basically a graphic designer, I guess you could say, before computers were like a major thing. But oh, cool. Yeah, really excited to talk about her. Before that, though, do you want to share what art you've done this week? Well, how about the art that I'm about to do? Yes. I have a show coming up in like three hours. So (laughs) from when we are recording this. So (laughs) that should be exciting. I definitely dyed my hair purple with temporary hair dye right before we're recording. And as we're recording, it is in a towel wet on my head. So we will see (laughs) how it ends up looking. I am so curious. I'm sure it's going to be great. The show should be fun. I've heard that the venue is very much like, I don't know, like very dive bar. Maybe not where you would expect a pop show to be, but that will be fun anyways. Yeah. And yeah, a artist that I really like. Her name is Elle Baz. <laughs> she asked me to open for her and she's going on like a tour around this side of the United States. So it should be fun. It's yeah, I'm excited for it. That's so exciting. How fun. I know. What about the art that you are creating? Um, It was kind of a slower week last week, but I have a photo shoot on Tuesday, or I guess like a video shoot. We're doing some more recipe videos. So I've just Mm. been preparing for that, ordering like weird stuff online for it. Lots of strange health food (laughs) ingredients. So yeah, it's been kind of a chill week, but a very busy one ahead. Love the corporate world art. (laughs) I know. I really do love the corporate world. I was talking to someone recently and they were like, corporate or freelance? And I was like, I love corporate because if you freelance, you can't give yourself really like bonuses and, you know, a yearly raise and benefits and big fan. Amazing. Well, yes, let's talk about our artist today. Okay, so Angel Decora is an indigenous person and So to start, I wanted to talk a little bit about the history of her tribe. She belonged to the Ho-Chunk tribe, which is also known as the Hukagra or the Winnebago. I think Winnebago is the most common term they're known for. However, there's Mm -hmm. two tribes that came out of that original tribe that she was a part of. And one of them goes by Ho-Chunk Nation in Wisconsin. And then the Winnebago tribe is in Nebraska. So they kind of has split, but she was born in Dakota County, now Thurston, Nebraska. So I guess like technically she's part of the Winnebago tribe. Mm -hmm. I don't know if their history is like joined together. 
So obviously now they both have federally recognized sovereign nations and peoples. And then they also are two of the most like fundamental tribes in the whole casino development that the oh. a lot of the indigenous people took on in order to make more of a profit in order to support for their people. So that's mm-hmm. like a major part of their history is like the entrepreneurial and like economic developments of creating their own legalized um, casinos where they could sell alcohol and have gambling and everything so that they can make money. So, I mean, yeah. very like inventive and everything that they were able to do that in order to provide for their people. It also is the dominant tribe in its territory in the 16th century. So for quite a while, they had a population of a several several thousand people. And it's believed that they originated along the East Coast and then migrated West in pre-colonial times. And that's probably also why they're known by so many different names because they used to Mm. live near the ocean and then traveled across the plains. So lots of history there. Obviously, there's so much more if you want to go read about a lot of their customs and traditions that are unique to them. One thing that's like really prominent as well is they had a huge population loss in the 17th century due to a lake storm. And then also infectious disease and then competition for resources from migrating Algonquin tribes. So there was a lot of problems that led to like a very heavy population loss. And then right after that, in the 1800s, the smallpox epidemic hit and they went clear down in population. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's believed that the current population of both of the two tribes together are 12,000. So it's still like decently sized, but they did have a lot of casualties along the way in their history. But I'd highly recommend reading more about them. There's a ton on like how they started the casinos and like all the entrepreneurial rewards they've gotten for their businesses and then so much more into all of their history of their traditions and individual culture to their tribe. But we're going to talk about Angel Decora. So Angel Decora Dietz or Hinuk Mahiwi Kalingka, which means a fleecy cloud floating in place, which I love. Mm. Mm-hmm. I love Native American names. I just think they're beautiful. Like imagine naming your kid after like a fleecy cloud floating in place, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. It's beautiful imagery. Yes. So she was born in the Winnebago Agency in Dakota County, like I said, now Thurston, Nebraska, on May, May 3rd, 1871. She was the daughter of David Tal Decora, a ho-chunk of French ancestry, and then a son of the little Decora, a hereditary chief. And then her clan was the Thunderbird clan, which comes up a lot in her imagery that she used in her art was Thunderbirds. So she had a lot of pride in her, um, in her heritage. And then her English and Ho-Chunk names were chosen by a relative who was asked to name her, opened the Bible, and the word angel caught her eye, <laughs> mm. which is cute. And then her mother was a member of the influential Lemaire family, which I believe were French. Yeah, this so, sounds like a French name. Yes. So they had a lot of like note among their tribe and among their people. Her grandfather... Mm-hmm was like the chief of the Winnebago and he was really okay. friendly with the white settlers. 
But then they had a problem because the government tried to allot Minnesotan land to the Winnebago, and the Sioux Mm. Indian tribe had problems with that. And so then they ended up having to – it was like a whole conflict. So then the tribe was moved from Wisconsin and Minnesota, first to South Dakota and then to Nebraska. So they were kind of like pushed around a lot. Mm-hmm. And then, he, but he remained the leader of the Nebraska segment until his death at 90. So he was a very prominent and important chief of their tribe. And then her father was the fourth son of that man who was the chief. And he never achieved a leading role in the tribe because he passed away pretty early on. And then her mother was a member of the Lemaire family, prominent among the Winnebago. And had been educated at a convent, which is very unique. But both of her parents ended up dying in the late 1880s. And Angel was watched over by her uncle, who was also a Lemaire, so her mother's brother. And because of her family's prominence in education, her inheritance was more complex than a lot of other Native American children were at the time. So there was just Mm -hmm. like a lot of heritage, a lot of complicated history there. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that I'm sure has like very rich stories behind it that we could spend forever talking about. And then her family, like I said, very prominent. She had a younger sister who collected a lot of information and published a lot of things about the Winnebago tribes and the prominent chieftains of the Dakota tribes. She also had a cousin, Olivia Lemaire, who wrote several books and articles containing Winnebago mythology and legends and stories. So... Her family, like, definitely kept a lot of records, and they were all very proud of their heritage and where they came from. So at the time when she was born, this was when a lot of the resettling of unfamiliar territory was happening. So Mm. she probably observed some of the older crafts or traditional ceremonies during her childhood, but because a lot of the resettling and, like, obviously – horrible racism that was happening when you like literally push around an entire tribe of people that have been there way longer than you. Yes. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. There's some culture loss. So she probably saw some stuff, but with them still getting settled and everything, she probably didn't see as much as she would have if she had born been born just a few years earlier. Mm-hmm. And then just to add to the injustices of it all, she was kidnapped, which sadly what? was not – a rare occurrence at all for young Native American children. This was so common. Oh. There was an agency from Hampton, Virginia, and they sent out people, and she described what happened. She said, a strange white man appeared on the reservation and asked her through an interpreter if she would like to ride on a steam car with six other children. And steam cars are like fancy, expensive, you know, yeah. brand new. So her and six other children were like, sure, we'll try it. And when the ride ended, she found herself in Hampton, Virginia. It wasn't until three years later that she was able to return to her mother and talk to her. And she said that for months, her mother had wept and mourned for her and her father died. Three years. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yep. So they would go, they would kidnap kids, and they'd send them to school, to like the white schools, to civilize Uh them. (laughs) which is disgusting and so wrong. Like they thought they were giving children like opportunities to learn, but like you don't kidnap people in the name of like privilege. Yeah, but you don't kidnap people. So also just because the culture is different than yours doesn't mean they're stupid or worse. No, 
like obviously they had survived and thrived for years on this mm -hmm. land but literally like sometime if you want to think about how hard it was to be an indigenous person look up what is native to your state because mm -hmm. and just to north america in general if you live here because nothing is from here absolutely nothing we have True. nothing we have a bunch of berries that are native here that no one even eats anymore and um i think like no because even that was brought over nothing we've got nothing <laughs> <laughs> so and they were surviving on all of that and like thriving with these like beautiful cultural heritage that is just beautiful so mm -hmm. they were not stupid and it's dumb that they felt the need to kidnap a bunch of children so yeah it took her three years to return to her mother and in the time that she was gone her father had passed away and mm -hmm. also her grandmother and grandfather as well and she said and the old indian life had died with them mm. um which i think is a lot of the reason why her family was so heavily involved in like trying to bring back a lot of those stories and myths and like culture from the yeah. earlier days because it disappeared so quickly she did have a lot of like influence and like position and prominence within her tribe because she was the granddaughter to the chief so a lot of people like knew who she was and it is said that like among most plains people power and cultural knowledge were accumulated by and dispensed through females which i think mm. is really cool and it makes sense that like the women would be in charge of like passing on the stories and kind of like educating everyone on the history of their tribe and their culture so she also talked about even though her mother was french in origin she would be expected to follow in her grandmother's footsteps by passing along Winnebago cultural practices. And she shares the experience saying, during the summers we lived on the reservation, my mother cultivating her garden and my father playing the chief's son. During the winter, we used to follow the chase away off of the reservation along rivers and forests. My father provided not only for his family then, but her for his fathers also. We were always moving camp. As a child, my life was ideal. In my childhood, I never received a crossword from anyone, but nevertheless, my training was incessant. About as early as I remember, I was lulled to sleep night after night by my father or grandfather's recital of laws and customs that had regulated the daily life of my grandsires for generations and generations. And in the morning, I was awakened by the same counseling. Under the influence of such precepts and customs, I acquired the general bearing of a well-counseled Indian child, rather reserved, respectful, and mild in manner. So I thought that was kind of cool, like talking about how they they knew the rules, they learned it all, but they were never like yelled at. Kind of beautiful. Okay, so talking about her education, obviously she was taken away from her family, placed in the Hampton Normal and Agricultural Institute, and she was sent there because the U.S. federal government had this idea where they would educate Indian girls in the hope that the women would be trained as good housewives and nice. would help their mates assimilate into the U.S. mainstream culture. So they're like, great, we'll kidnap all the women, we'll take them, we'll train them how to be good U.S. housewives, and then it will help everyone assimilate better into our country that we came here and stole. So she studied at the local preparatory school in Hampton, Virginia, and worked for a local family while she was there. And I don't know how young she was, but working for a local family sounds not great. Afterwards, she was educated at Burnham Classical School for Girls and then went on to study art at the art department of Smith College. And she studied specifically illustration at Drexel Institute, which is now known as Drexel University. So she was very well educated during like her race and like her gender that would have been major 
pulled backs at that time. So I guess that that's good, but obviously there was a lot of challenges that came with the fact that like her education was only received because of a crime committed against her at a young age. Anyway, uh, however, she thrived within art school. She was one of a very few students who were accepted into the Howard Pyle's competitive summer art program. And Pyle actually called her not only a talent, but a genius during the program. And he knew that she was facing a lot more challenges as a Native American and a woman, but his belief in her was so strong that he provided her with contacts at magazines and encouraged her to illustrate and compose her own semi-autobiographical stories. Mm. And she did. She actually published two semi-autobiographical stories. One was called The Sick Child and one was Grey Wolf's Daughter. And they were published in the February and November 1899 issues of Harper's Monthly, which is really cool. And a lot of them also pulled from her unique childhood and heritage that a lot of Mm -hmm. other people hadn't heard much about at that time. She also would go on to do a lot of painting. So she painted the Lafayette headquarters, which is one of her only works that doesn't have an indigenous subject. It's beautiful. It's one of the only surviving paintings we have of her. So I'll be sure to post it on Instagram. But it's beautiful. It's just like a gorgeous semi-impressionistic painting of this building of the Lafayette headquarters. And then her and Pyle actually had like a good normal relationship between a student and mentor, which is wonderful (laughs) because we hear so many stories about mentors like taking advantage of or like having weird taking power dynamics. Yeah. And they actually had like a very good relationship, which is like a very wonderful thing. However, he had a lot of prejudice against like indigenous cultures. So Mm. he disregarded a lot of the authenticity of like traditional indigenous attire or like Mm. historical accuracy, which was kind of hard for someone who actually knows what is accurate. So she kind of like, they had some disagreements. So even though like she really appreciated his mentorship and like he helped her reach a lot of new heights with her art, she didn't strive to like emulate him in a lot of ways that like other students do, you know, where they like want to be their teacher. She actually told him once, and I love this. (laughs) She was like, I'm an American Indian. I don't want to paint like a white man. Good. Yeah. Yes. Right. And I think that that's so important. Like you shouldn't want to paint like a white man. You're not one. So yeah. So she left Philadelphia, went to Boston, enrolled in the Cal's Art School, and then studied life drawing under Joseph DeCamp. He left after a year, but then recommended her to the Museum of Fine Arts, also in Boston, where she remained for the next two years, studying under Frank Benson and Edmund C. Tarbell, both that were known for their outdoor figure paintings and like unique light in their work. And they Mm -hmm. would go on to, of course, have influence in her work as well. She then got married to William Henry Lone Star Dietz, who claimed Dakota and German descent, but apparently we don't really know his true background. So some mysterious heritage there, I guess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know why it's like pointed out that they're like, but we don't know. It's like if he claimed he was Dakota and German, he probably was. Anyway. Yeah, I'm like, was that like a a deal? I don't know. Did you not believe him? Okay. Um, But yeah, he taught at the Carlisle Indian School. And so they met at the St. Louis World's Fair in 1904. He was also a football Hmm. player, which is kind of cool. 
1915 became the head coach of Washington State and later was the first head coach of the Washington Redskins. So that's really cool. Some fun ties in there. So she ended up teaching at the Native American Oil Indian Instructional School in 1906. Mm-hmm. And this like changed the Carlisle policy, which is funny because it's called the Carlisle Indian Industrial School, but they prohibited Indian art from being practiced there. Oh, <laughs> so it was like nice. to teach Native American students, but then they like didn't allow them to do Native American arts and crafts. Art. Which is Hmm. stupid. So when she took over and ended up teaching there, she traveled extensively. She lectured about Native American art. And then she would teach Native American arts and crafts movements within the school. And it really helped push forward a lot more of that, like, return to the culture of the Native American people and allow them to actually celebrate it rather than – no, I literally, I can't imagine. It's like, oh, it's a school, you know, for this, but mm, we're not going to let you do that. <laughs> right? So dumb. It's like only, it's for Native American students only, but like, we're going to teach you our art because our yeah. art is superior. Okay. Really dumb. Anyway. <clears throat> but that's something that's really cool about Angel Decora's art style. I'm going to post a ton of her stuff, but like, she totally like blended Western techniques with traditional Native American styles. And mm-hmm. I think she really like does a great job of like bringing in that Native American influence to practically everything she does. But it was more accepted by this is what's annoying. It was more accepted by the Western culture because it was like a lot of that classic Western techniques. So it Got was a it. good bridge between cultures. Should she have had to do that? No. But it worked out really well. But for because her. it was, yeah, it helped her. Yes. She did a lot of gesture work, which is really common in Native American pictographs. Mm-hmm. And then she also did a ton of like text work. I don't know how to describe it because like nowadays we have like fonts and we manipulate it, but she was doing it all by hand. So I guess it would be like mm. hand typography, but like not really calligraphy. But she would like mix illustrations in with the text. And that's something that actually was like super common with Native American art. So I think it's really cool that she was able to move that more Western works. Okay. So she ended up opening a small studio in Boston and did some illustrative work for Small and Mainyard Company and for Gin and Company. And she said that she had done some designing while in art school but had never taken any special interest in that branch of art. And then ended up saying, perhaps it was well that I had not overstudied the prescribed methods of European decoration, for then my Mm. aboriginal qualities could never have asserted themselves. I like that. Yeah, which I think is kind of cool because then she was able to pull a lot more from the heritage of like Native American decoration, which is so art that she would be more inclined to make. Yes. And like, if there's one thing that like Native Americans are known for within our world, it is their like decorative abilities with like patterns and ornate designs that are just like beautiful so very fitting she also would go on to be a part of like the i think it was like the council of indian affairs or something and then would also help that become a contribution contribution wow to american art (laughs) most of her work also portrays the native american lifestyle through a feminized lens 
which was Mm -hmm. something that was altogether unfamiliar to white Americans of the time. However, her portrayal of Native Americans was not static. She portrayed them as changing people and would blend Native American and Euro-American elements to demonstrate this change. Cool. Yes, which is beautiful. So to kind of talk about a little bit of her work, there was this book by Natalie Curtis called The Indian's Book. And it was a collection of Native American songs, stories, and artwork from all of these different tribes across the entire continent. So she asked Angel Decora to make a design for the title page of her own tribe for the Winnebago people. And then here's what she said. When she brought me the finished pages, it bore in addition to the design the legend Lake Indians Winnebago in letters so beautiful and of such startling originality that my publishers declared we can't have one page looking like this and the others labeled with prosaic printing. We must have this sort of lettering all throughout the book. We'll show this to our designer upstairs and ask him to copy the style. And then she said, our designer looked at this page and gave a low whistle. I never saw anything like this in my life before, he said. Whoever did that lettering is a genius. Don't ask me to make letters like that. I really advise you to get the person who did this page to do all of the others. Wow. And then then she says, you would be surprised, I said to the designer, to know that the genius is a young Indian girl. He thought a minute and then he said, well, no, I'm not really surprised because no white man could have done this. That's cool. (laughs) And then he said, take my advice, go get that girl to do all the lettering in the book and you will have something unlike anything that's ever been done with the alphabet before. So (laughs) they go back to Angel Decora and they ask her to do the title pages for all of the sections. And they thought that she was just going to take what she'd done with the Winnebago section and replicate it on all of them. Mm -hmm. But she didn't. She invented a different kind of lettering for each and every Indian picture in the form of letters that were composed of motifs from the drawings which they accompanied and ones that actually ended up fitting the tribes that they were a part of. Obviously, to the best of her abilities, she didn't have Google. So there's actually like a really cool YouTube video that goes through a lot of pages that she did. I'll link it. It's very in-depth. It's from a Native American artist herself. She's of a different tribe, but... She goes through and shares a lot of the details of like all of these different title pages done by Angel Decora and like how Mm -hmm. they tie into the history of all of these Native American tribes. And it was funny because she'd be like, well, it has teepees here. That wasn't a traditional house for them at the time. Like they would be in this. But then she was like, but I mean, she didn't have Google and she was going off of limited resources. Like, so knowing literally much, how would she have known? Exactly. Yeah. And like the fact that she was able to know as much about the other tribes as she did, like only uh-huh. a native would have been able to do that. So really amazing. And then they were so impressed by what she had done because it was more than had been asked of her that they sent her a check that surprised her. So I'm assuming she got paid like pretty well for oh this. good okay yeah <laughs> but yeah the youtube videos by letterform archive and they also have like a whole article on it but yeah like i said i'll link it it's amazing the detail in these letters is fantastic like they said it's literally stuff that's not really done with the internet like with the alphabet mm-hmm. and even today like it would still be really inventive like we've seen more stuff like it now obviously because we've seen more stuff like 
everything but (laughs) (laughs) but it was the first (laughs) yes and it's still really cool the title page alone is just like stunning she brings in all of these like symbols and patterns of indigenous people that are just beautiful so highly highly recommend she also is well known for her painted realistic illustrations so she designed some illustrations and a cover for a book old indian legends that was published in 1901 by her friend yankton dakota and then also ended up painting the cover and front and the frontispiece for the middle five Indian boys at school published in 1901 as well. Let's see. Towards the end of her career, her and her husband continued to teach at the Carlisle Indian Industrial School in Pennsylvania. Like I said before, we don't have a ton of her paintings, Mm -hmm. um, but her stories from Harper's Magazine and the illustrated books all remain. So obviously, like, the books are all really rare because they were published in the 1900s and they're, like, original editions. But we do have copies of them. And, like, a lot of her art that she had done in school and throughout her life, we don't really have those anymore. So the illustrations are very rare and very cool because they portrayed all sorts of things that like people had never seen before. One thing that was really unique too is that in another book, it was published in 1911, it was called The Yellow Star, A Story of East West by Elaine Goodell Eastman. There's illustrations Mm -hmm. by actually Angel Decora and her husband and she portrays Native Americans wearing contemporary clothing, which had like never been done before. So she also happens to fall into the trap of so many people we've talked about where because they exist in a culture that faced a lot of racism and prejudice and persecution at the time, but they were able to thrive in the Western culture, they're Mm -hmm. kind of disowned by both. Yeah. Yeah, and we've talked about this with so many artists, especially like artists of color, that it just became this thing where they said she was too Western in execution to be considered an authentic Native American artist, but then she's obviously too Native to be considered an accomplished European or Western American artist. But in her day, the public did crown her as the first real Indian artist, which... (laughs) (laughs) sounds really problematic yeah but i think if you look at it through the lens of history that is a very like nice compliment that they were trying to give if that makes yes they were trying yeah and that's what's kind of hard about a lot of this like you'll notice i said indian a lot when i know that that's not the name but even like she referred to herself as an american Mm -hmm. indian And a lot of the books that they wrote were even by natives were called like old Indian legends or Indian boys at school because that's what they were known by. (laughs) Like, yeah. Whereas now we know better. But just kind of sad that like she continued to face that dual prejudice of like being from all sides. Yes. And I'm sure it was even harder for her as a woman as well. She ended up passing away super young, which I hate because I'm sure we would have gotten so much more from her. Um, Mm -hmm. She passed away at age 47, so very, very young. And she was visiting friends at the time and had developed influenza and pneumonia. It was actually a pandemic outbreak during the time of a pneumonia and influenza outbreak. So she was staying with this family who had befriended her during her earlier years in Northampton. 
but at the time only blood relatives were allowed to request a headstone so Mm. she had like an unmarked grave for a really long time like they just weren't allowed to which is kind of a weird thing like when you want to label like at least know who was resting there yeah like i don't really get it like i guess i understand like maybe they didn't want them like putting something else on it but like it seems kind of strange but what's really amazing is that smith college actually published an article in 2003 about a student who her name is nivon nicole tiger she is a woman studies major, and she found Angel Decora's photograph in an admission brochure on diversity because, like we talked about, like Angel Decora was one of the first women to attend Smith College and mm-hmm. one of the first mm-hmm. indigenous women. And so she said that she was just like really excited to find this native woman in the college that she was going to. But mm-hmm. then she was also really angry about it because she only found her in a diversity pamphlet and there was nothing else about Smith College that memorialized her or honored her yeah. and her contributions in the art world. Like even though she was one of the most prominent Native American artists. And so her tribal roots are Cherokee Creek Seminole, um, mm-hmm. Yvonne Tiger are. But she felt like this call to really dive into the story of Decora and like talk about her life. And she ended up doing an honors thesis project on her. And as a part of the end of the thesis, she raised money to mark the grave and actually get like a memorial stone written. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So I think that's really cool. She was able to like complete that whole thing. I wasn't able to find like a link to her actual thesis, but I'm sure it's out there if you want to go dig Mm -hmm. for it and you can actually read her thesis paper. And what I thought was really cool is kind of like a way to – tie it all together at the end is she did have a beautiful obituary that was written about her in a memorial Mm -hmm. like right after she died and someone said the death of angel decora the first indian artist to express in the white man's world what her people might become should rouse us to a keener realization of the significance of her conviction and she said herself my people are a race of designers I look for the day when the Indian shall make beautiful things for all of the world. Oh, I love that. My people are a race of designers. That's what it said, right? Yes. And it's or so people of designers. True. That's so beautiful. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is so true. Like so much of Native American culture and history and art and everything, it's it's design. Like it makes sense that mm-hmm. she was such a natural designer because it was part of her heritage and it's so rich and beautiful. Oh, I love that quote too. Yeah. Yeah, Like you said, that's so beautiful. So that's her. I love doing like indigenous artists, but it's so hard because there's so few resources. Um, Mm -hmm. There is a book about her, Firelight, The Life of Angel Decora. So you can go read that. I did not have time, but I highly recommend it. And then there's been like a lot of articles about her, but it's a lot of repeat information. It's kind of one of those things where like you find a lot of articles, but it's like little bits and breadcrumb pieces. Uh And we obviously do this every week, so I don't have like a whole thesis project to dedicate to it. (laughs) True. (laughs) So that's kind of a call to action for all of you that like go learn about her. Like I know she's lesser known. It's not one of those names that like everyone knows immediately, but like 
her work is beautiful. And if anything, like even if you can't find information about her, there's so many pictures of all those yeah. title pages and like illustrations and everything that she did for those books. So amazing. I know that's the danger yeah. of finding the uncelebrated artists is if they are so uncelebrated, we really don't have a lot even to do a full episode on, you know, or make it seem like it's as full of an episode. But I still think, you know, obviously these are the stories that deserve to be shared. And these are the ones yeah. that we made this podcast for. So Agreed. I love And I it. know like our influence is tiny, but it's like if more True. people just know her name, like I hope one day like there is more, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh-huh. And I love finding like people like this, especially like early graphic designers because of that project I did where I did the whole book on all these female graphic designers throughout history. It just like creates a more rich, like beautiful culture of graphic design, even with like how new it is to like yeah. look back and realize how long it's been around and how many people have been a part of it. And then like the building blocks are more important than a lot of people give them credit for. I agree. No, I love that. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing this amazing artist with us today. Of course. Like I said, I'll be posting a ton of her work on the Instagram. So please go follow. Um, we're mm-hmm. just at morethanamuse.podcast. And you can help us celebrate Angel Decora this week. Yes. And join us next week. We'll have another episode about women and the arts rate us review us on spotify or on apple Podcasts because that helps us grow which helps us share more of these amazing stories yes and i think that's it we'll be back next week see you next time bye Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.